Brought to you by Oppenheimer Funds, the right way to invest. Explore long-term opportunities at oppenheimerfunds.com. And hello, everybody. Welcome to the 11th episode of Culture Caucus, Bloomberg Politics's podcast about the intersection of politics and all things cultural. I am John Heilman. And I am Will Leach. And we are the co-hosts of this podcast, and we are happy to be with you here again. Hi, Will. Hello. How's it going, man? It's fantastic. I'm, you know, I'm starting to, like, after all that time where we were, like, in different cities, like, it seems like now all of a sudden we're, like, you know, you're here in New York all the time. Well, it's this, really, I, this is what you get for letting me move in. It's kind of, it's kind of excellent. You know, uh, Will today is dressed in a, like, in a suit that would make him really perfectly at home around that table at the beginning of Reservoir Dogs. Like, That's the plan. This man. is a, He's got the black I'm suit. I'm walking in slow motion. He's got the black suit, the white shirt, the black tie. I mean, it's just like quite a thing. He looks like some kind of a you know criminal. I need the sunglasses. A high-end high criminal or a hitman. Um, speaking of high-end criminals, yes. um, let's uh, we can introduce our, our <laughs> next topic, topic for episode 11. You can hear Alexander Trowbridge back there cackling in the background, our, our brilliant uh, uh, and, and, uh, and, and precocious producer. Um, we're going to talk about today. O.J. O.J. Simpson. O.J. Simpson, Made in America, uh, which is a documentary which is about to launch uh, in about a week's time on both ABC and, more importantly, ESPN. It is a five-part documentary that runs uh, without commercials, runs about seven and a half hours, so with commercials runs about eight hours. And it is, I think it's fair to say... Um, one of the more extraordinary pieces of documentary filmmaking that I have seen, uh, at least in my recent memory, both in terms of its length, its narrative scope, its ambition, um, and its execution. It's an amazing thing to behold. And Will, you wrote a, a story about it in New York Magazine in which you called it a masterpiece. I'd like you to talk about just like, let's start this off. This is the story uh, of O.J. Simpson. Um, it is, but it's not only the story of O.J. Simpson. It is, it is the grand big swing uh, of the trying to put O.J. in context and explain uh, what it meant, why it's important. It covers everything from the history of race relations in Los Angeles, the history of policing, and as it intersects with race relations in Los Angeles, the history of, 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 of O.J. Simpson's, obviously O.J. Simpson's career, starting uh, from basically from birth through his uh, growing up on Potrero Hill in San Francisco, uh, going and becoming a star athlete at USC, his career with the Bills, his career with the 49ers, his career as a celebrity, um, his career as the first really important black pitch man in America who was a corporate sponsor of things like Hertz. Uh, and uh, uh, and Chevrolet. Uh, it tells about his rise, his meeting Nicole Simpson, um, obviously then the trial itself, the fallout from the trial, all of that, all embedded within this broader social political context, the story of race and sports in America. It is sweeping in every possible way, and that's why, even though when you hear me say that it is seven and a half hours of documentary filmmaking, you wonder to yourself, wow, can I really watch seven and a half hours on OJ? The, tr the truth is there's not a moment of it uh, that is not fiercely compelling and brilliant. And, um, and I, I think if you're remotely interested in any of the topics I just mentioned, you will not feel like you wasted your time watching this entire thing. That's just to start off with why we're doing the podcast on this. But Will, as I said, you wrote in New York Magazine that it was a masterpiece. Explain why. 
part of the reason it works so well is it just simply has that much time. You know, it is a story. When, when you watch the whole thing in one setting, you know, it was, it was actually conceived not as five different episodes, but conceived as this actually one long thing. And, you know, we'll be watching it. People will be watching it in five segments. But when this is screened at film festivals, and they're actually going to be showing this uh, – uh, they're actually going to be showing this for an Oscar run at some point. When it's been shown straightforward, it's been shown all the way through, and I think that is, to me, maybe even the best way to watch it in a lot of ways. Because you know, I I wrote about this in my piece. I wrote about the notion that once you actually watch the movie, it makes it clear that almost every way we've talked about the trial and each of all of these, in the trial and the whole situation, and each of all these individual spots, is in actuality is kind of facile and kind of like this quick turnaround way to look at it it really all needs to be put in that larger perspective and one of the nice things about having a seven and a half hour documentary is that you're able to do that so it has both the stuff that that the passerby will have pass like the, there's right. there's some breathtaking footage in the movie and there's a, it's a very easy to say oh there's this scene and there's this scene and you'll love this but what to me what it truly does great is it puts all of this in the in, in the perspective of so many other cultural trends to do that and really it does both of those things kind of seamlessly so here's the thing like we both have a lot of questions about this about this about this movie and um, luckily for mm-hmm. us um, we have and in the second half of the podcast, we have a guest um, who can answer them because uh, he's... He made the movie. He made the movie. <laughs> his name's Ezra Edelman. He's the, he's the producer and director of this uh, landmark, epic, huge, big swing. So we can ask him all the questions in the world. Now, I'm going to pull back the curtain mm-hmm. on, the, on the making of the Culture Cox here, yes. which is something we don't generally like to do. We like to stay kind of cloaked mm-hmm. in mystery. But, mm-hmm. but again, more cackling from the producer, showing you just how mysterious this whole process is. But... Ezra just walked in. So normally, like, we... Literally in the middle of my answer, right, by the normally, way, which is really hard, because I was about to just crack eloquent and not really care what the filmmaker thought of no, what I was right, about to say. Right. Normally, and then he walked in, and I was like, yeah, Normally shit. when we do this podcast, Will and I sit here, and we talk, and we, like, trash the movie, we like, or we, uh, or we, or we, or we praise the movie, whatever, and then we bring the director in, and we, you know, like... Hey, our, we love you. Oh, You're awesome. Oh, my God, we love you. So we can't do that today. But the advantage here is that Ezra's going to sit quietly while we have this conversation, but he's going to know, sort of like some... He's going to be able to sit here thinking about out, like because we'll talk about stuff we're interested in, right. and then he'll be able to be like maybe kind of prepared when we start asking him questions in the second half of the podcast. Ezra's now giving us the thumbs up, so he's cool with that. That's the, I um, have to say, I, I I will be very impressed if he pulls this off because if yeah. I had worked so long and so hard on something, and then I just heard two <laughs> yokels hey. just yammer about it and shut, say, "Don't worry, you can't say anything. You can't say anything." Hey, I would have a hard time. Shut, shut the fuck up, you goobers. I may I may, I, I I have may tag him in. I may right. tag him in. At some totally. Point. All right. So okay, like I said, Will. So the basic deal here is Will said to me, you know, we got do this podcast on this thing and it's interesting um yes i agree with everything you just said um partly because uh for me just my own personal experience of this right i grew up in la um and this period of time um i went i was a high school student in the 1970s i graduated in 1983 the the just the just at a micro level and we were talking about this earlier you know the 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 nuanced grasp of the role of USC in the history of Los Angeles culture. My dad moved to LA in 1958, um, and uh, and 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 my parents like you know when they built the suburban house in the San Fernando Valley, they, my you know the house was built there and there was it was dirt it was a dirt road. So my parents moved there relatively early in that migration from the Midwest. I grew up there with you know from 1966 on. And the way in the movie, which the movie grasps the role of USC as an institution in Los Angeles, the rivalry between USC and UCLA, the complicated history of policing in Los Angeles, 
Um, I, I could have actually seen a whole other episode just on that. I mean, the movie, the, 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 the O.J. doc spends a decent amount of time explaining the history of policing in L.A., how it led to the Watts riots, the contextualization of the Watts riots as being a thing that happened a couple years before O.J. gets to USC and that Watts is contiguous, geographically contiguous to the USC campus. How important that is in the context of the racial milieu of 1968 when O.J. is basically like really the only black guy at USC. All of that is so subtle and so nuanced and so textured, and you can't actually understand the story of O.J., why it was so important in L.A., why it had such incredible importance to the history to what 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 the, the where race relations were in America in 1995 without actually understanding that history and so it is I think entirely right and one of the things I want to talk to Ezra about is this is a thing you can only do if you have time to spend 20 minutes on the history of USC or 15 minutes on the history of USC you can't do it without that time he was given the luxury of time I don't know how the fuck he pulled that off or how he convinced anybody to let him do seven and a half hours but however he did it he make he uses it to great effect because there's not a moment in the documentary in my view that's boring or where the pace slackens or where there's a piece of information that is not relevant to even if you don't quite understand it in that first episode how it's going to fit in later why it's going to matter later that you understood this particular piece and you know how was it that Daryl Gates became Daryl Gates all of that stuff matters enormously to telling the whole story and it makes you realize how something you use the word facile you know, I think Ezra's going to benefit and this doc's going to benefit enormously from having had the docudrama mm. on TV that a lot of people watched this spring. I think it's going to benefit him enormously in terms of numbers and interest in this topic and people wanting to come back and revisit the real story. But the docudrama, even though I'm a big fan of docudramas, the facileness of yeah. dealing with this is just like some courtroom drama. Right. Like, I like about that a, movie, but it feels so silly it's after so, watching it's right. this. <laughs> because this is, this is an incredible courtroom drama, and there is in episode four, basically, of the five-part docudrama, documentary, episode four is basically just about the courtroom drama of it. And it's incredible and compelling, and I love a good courtroom drama. But to understand this through just the prism of courtroom drama, or even courtroom drama about a celebrity who's accused of a horrific crime is to not understand really anything about why this whole thing matters. Yeah, and one of the things I love most about that too is it really is fair to everyone involved. I don't think it excuses anyone, but it's very fair. Like, everybody gets a fair hearing is probably the best way to put it. I don't think it, it's, you know, the... Everybody gets to say their piece, and, and the, the, the vast number of interviews. You know, Marsha Clark, who now has become this somewhat like she's everywhere now, but we didn't hear from Marsha Clark for like for a long time, years. right? And so, and she she's a big part of it. Mark Furman's a, a big part of it. You know, the the number of people that. It gets a fair hearing to the city. It gets a fair hitting hearing to Gil Garcetti. It gets a fair a fair hearing to OJ's friends. It gets a fair hearing to people. To Mark like, Furman. Yeah, and that's the thing. Is like, and it, to me, you know, that is again, it, you do have the advantage of making that long of a movie that you're able to give everybody the piece. And what I'm I'm curious when whenever when, when we talk to Ezra, wherever he is, I don't know if I'll ever even see him to be able to ask him questions. But whenever I uh, whenever I get a chance to ask Ezra a question, one of the questions I'm very curious about is even in this, how do you, it seems there's got to be stuff on the cutting floor because this never feels like, okay, they're pumping up the running time. They're, 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 they're trying to fill out that fifth episode. It feels like Tightened right. to the to to the firm, firmest degree, and for me, one of the things that helped me, you know, I was in college when I, when all this went down, and I was obsessed with uh, with the case. I think like a lot of people were. I remember at the time, 
I was the uh, managing editor of the Daily Illini, the student newspaper at the University of Illinois, and I was on NIDA. That that a week, a week second-tier college in, in the context uh, of Illinois. Yeah. Um, Tell that to Roger Ebert, Hugh Hefter, and Dave Eggers. Pal. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, whatever. I won't go through the Northwestern alumni thing because it would yeah. take the entirety of the podcast to, like, to make you feel as small I as love you, hearing Medildo's talk. To make you feel um, as small as you actually are in the whole kind of pantheon of journalism will, but go on. Anyway, yeah. um, I was the managing editor of the student newspaper, and I actually had night <laughs> editor. Illini. Really funny. <laughs> Seriously, Northwestern people. Yeah, okay, go hang out. Go 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 hang out with uh, Rovell. Uh, anyway, so point is, is that we, uh, uh, I was on the night staff duty for the night the trial went down and it felt like our Kennedy assassination like it felt like this was this great opportunity I couldn't I was so felt so lucky to have the responsibility of putting together the front page of the newspaper the day of the OJ verdict like that was how big of a deal it was but the thing that's fascinating to watch this documentary now is how I thought I was I was watching that I was watching that trial every day. I was writing a piece for the newspaper about it every day. Like it was I was obsessed with that trial and I had no idea what the hell was going on. Right, like right. I was missing like so many different threads of what was happening, not just with race and not just with class and not just with OJ, but really I just had no idea what the fuck I was talking about. Right. And that, to me that one of the many revelatory things about this is this issue, uh, this this trial, which is you know, the trial of the century, was uh, covered within an inch of his life. One of the, the funny things is just the number of people that wrote books that were connected to the trial is astounding like, yeah, sure. and they sold sure, <laughs> so you know sure. it, it, there was such public interest and we and to watch the movie is to realize we really had no idea what was what this was actually about right for sure i mean you know one of the things about it and and i'm it, your your thesis in the new york mag piece is that um is that watching the documentary you come to this conclusion the conclusion which is that oj is guilty obviously and yet the verdict is somehow just. Yeah. That that's your that's your takeaway. Um, I, you one know, of many I, takeaways. Well, one, one of many, but, but, yes. but a primary takeaway. So, yes. you know, I I was at uh, because I'm ancient and certainly older than you. Um, you know, I was at that point living in Washington D.C. and writing the political column in the Economist magazine. And I can say with with I'm kind of amazing, like I have very little memory for almost anything I've ever done in my life. But I wrote about O.J. a fair amount that that spring and summer in the column and. Um, and I did, in fact, at the time, wrote a column that basically made this argument, um, partly to be contrarian because people were so outraged um, and to try to find to say something interesting other than he, this is obviously a miscarriage of justice. He obviously killed this woman. There's, it's clear, right? But also because I had spent a fair amount of time with a lot of, when I was in graduate school, I'd spent a fair amount of time with a lot of black lawyers at Harvard, um, people who went on to become law professors. And I was spending a lot of time that spring and summer talking to um, people who lived in the milieu of both the Source magazine <laughs> and, and these various black law, lawyers and law professors who all had, had very intense opinions about Chris Darden and were 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 making in their conversations around this some of the very early tentative arguments of the kind that you see and are drawn out in OJ Made in America. So I'm, I'm not like trying to say I was somehow really prescient. I was just lucky to be talking to a lot of smart people who um, who who fed me enough. Um, ideas to be able to spin a column that I kind of at least partly believe to be true. Again, <laughs> partly because also, also partly because I've grown up in L.A. and so and like you know the Rodney King thing and you know my par- my family right. still lived there right. during the L.A. riots and like that stuff was still real to me. Um, but I'm interested to know when we talk to Ezra. I think one of the great strengths of this documentary, you said a second ago that it was fair to everyone. It's not a polemic. 
and and I it's the kind of storytelling that I prefer, which is to say, it's complex and it's multi-dimensional, and everyone does get a fair hearing, and you can watch. I mean, I don't think it's possible to reach any conclusion other than he was guilty of the murder. And I think that that's still basically not, there's now no real question about that to anybody who's a serious person. But as you, as you watch the movie and I'll ask Ezra about that too, but as you watch, but as you watch the documentary, it is scrupulously fair to everybody's position and scrupulously intent on contextualizing. And so one of the questions that I have is whether, you know, the thesis that you, the, the conclusion that you reached a conclusion that I argued for 20 years ago mm-hmm. was that Ezra's intention is that right. you know does is there in a very subtle way is there a thesis to this uh, to this work or is this genuinely kind of like here's a bunch of ideas like make of it what you will is that something that you think you're finding in the film or you think it's something that I'm asking you now Will mm-hmm. is that something you think you found in the film or do you think that's something that the film is making the case for what's your view about that uh, I I don't think the film actively tries to make a case for anything which is one of the reasons that it makes so many good cases right. and and you know I think that I think that uh, but also I also feel like there's real passion there's obvious passion in it like this is not a dispassionate fly on the wall hey here's what happened like there's right. there's a there's a propulsive momentum that I is irresistible I really want to state that as much as clearly as possible to people that this is a movie that you will not be able to stop watching. Well, and I, watched, I, and I, and I, I watched the whole yeah. thing yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Okay, in one day. Okay? Well, it's screening that way. I, you know, mean, screen I, that way I know, people, but so. I like I sat down yesterday yeah. at eight o'clock in the morning. And was like, I'm going to knock yeah. this fucking thing off. I'm not sure if I can get through seven and a half hours, even yeah. though I have the whole day yeah. to do it. And I just like whip right through that motherfucker. It was just I was like, and I was like, at the end, I was like. Yeah, that was like flew right by. Yeah, and I no think that, that's the uh, that's the thing is that you know it obviously raises all these the the the, the movie is so good and it's so v- wide its scope is so wide that I think when there's a sense that when you talk about it pe- people are going to be like oh that sounds really intellectual I don't know like it is it is I think it's very smart but it is poppy man like it, it there it w- is addictive in the way that you want it to be right. it's it just all this other stuff is going on as well which to me that is the magic trick right like that's that to me is what's most impressive about it is it, it i come away with all these thoughts about all these different things but at the time i'm not like going that's an interesting point i need to have a, a yeah. little se- a seminar to discuss yeah. that point i'm just compelled in watching the movie i mean just as someone who makes tv you know there were there i if you asked me you know, i was talking to our executive producer over with all due respect last night about this who who wants desperately to see it and as i was singing its praises and and you know i was trying to explain he's like you know seven and a half hours like you know i said well let me tell you what's in the first in the first hour and a half and i explained it to him and he was like wow you know like that long on that topic and i was like yeah but here's the thing if i had to cut it down you know if you gave me the assignment put a gun to my head and said you need to cut stuff i could cut stuff i could cut stuff and i think i could cut stuff that would not do violence to the movie on the other hand, there was nothing in it that when I watched it, I was thinking that should be cut. There was nothing that I thought that drags, that's repetitive, that's not important to the thesis. And so, man, if you have the luxury of that kind of time and you can fill it in a way that keeps me moving happily through seven and a half hours, great. Like, let's make that kind of, that's the kind of ambitious filmmaking that I'm all for. So, you know, I don't think anybody who, like, when this thing comes on the air, um, we're going to go this podcast you know, you're hearing this podcast right now. It, the, the, it's still a week from now before yeah. you're going to be able to actually watch this thing when it premieres. Suckers. Uh, <laughs> uh, a, a week from tomorrow on Maybe Saturday was. night on ESPN and ABC, and then it's going to play out on ESPN all the following week. You know, I think anybody who watches the first episode on Saturday night, that Saturday night, June 11th, is going to be like, 
okay, I'm watching. And they're going to yeah. watch every episode through, and it's going to become an event for people. Again, if you're in, only if you're interested in any of the following topics. <laughs> Celebrity, sports, race, uh, uh, criminal justice, uh, Los Angeles. American um, culture. American culture. <laughs> yeah, if you're not interested, if you're interested in those topics. Humanity. You'll, you'll be, yeah, humanity. You'll be into this. If you're not interested in any of those things. Yeah, yeah. I'm not really interested in you at all. So yeah. that's why, who cares? Anyway, do you have anything else to say before we go to Ezra? I have to say, I'm so eager to talk to Ezra. Yeah. I think this is all I got. Yeah, and he's over there. He's been like, now, he's, he's been, we're going to take a break um, and remind people yes. that this is the Culture Caucus. And I'm John Episode, I'm Will Leach, episode 11. Episode 11. Caucus. Where can you find this podcast? Will? You can find this, we, of course, uh, iTunes is the easiest way to find this. We oh, encourage you we to love also, iTunes. Of course. Uh, um, we encourage everyone to give us a nice review on there. It helps people find the podcast. We're also on SoundCloud and, of course, on BloombergPolitics.com. All right, we'll be right back with Ezra. Let's take a quick break. Brought to you by Oppenheimer Funds, the right way to invest. Explore long-term opportunities at oppenheimerfunds.com. We are back after a brief intermission with this second half of episode 11 of the Culture Caucus, I'm John Heilman. And I am Will Leach. And as previously advertised, we have Ezra Edelman, who's been sitting here um, quietly reveling, basking in the warm embrace of the two fawning co-hosts of this podcast, uh, talking about his great uh, and soon-to-be-released uh, magnum opus, let's call it that, OJ Made in America, um, which is going to debut on Saturday, June 11th on both ESPN and ABC, the first episode. And then over the course of the following week, you'll see the next four episodes on ESPN. I'm sure there's going to be replays all over the place, but those are like the premiere dates for these things. And as Will and I were just saying, if you're interested in a wide, in a whole bunch of different topics, this is something you're going to want to see. So um, we, Ezra, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, and both of us have a lot of questions. Good. Um, so I want to But just, I want to, hold on a second. Yeah. How long are we getting to talk? For as long as we want. Okay, I was going to say, I only show up for things that are at least four, yeah. five, six hours long. Yeah, I, need, okay. I need to be able to save my piece. Um, yeah, try. I've, 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 I've going to be hearing that line a lot on your um, media tour. That's a good line. In First the, time. First in, time. In the, middle, in, the middle, in, the middle of our, in the middle of this podcast, Alex Trebridge will be handing you a takeout menu, and you can order from, yes. you want to order from three different restaurants, because yeah. we'll have like a, like a lunch dinner and late night snack option. So we want to get that all like just ready to roll. Well, by the way, I mean, I don't know how... You have no idea how great it is, though, to hear two people who are smart, worldly, cultured watch something that you do and actually, you know, have real takeaways and thoughts about it. Because that's like beyond any reaction from the world. It's like, no, this is what I crave. Yeah. The idea that sure. two people, smart people could have and like. So I'm. This and, is, and, and in addition to them, also you get to hear us talk. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. And humble. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, so here's the so so I I, I want to like this is going to be unusual because a we're going to let this run for pretty long, um, not six hours but pretty long, um, because we have a lot of questions. And I want to actually just do I want to uh, want to start at the beginning. Okay. Like, who are you? Like what's what's your I'm just a man? Well, I mean, like what's just, just one man? Just a man. God. I mean, I'm gonna get. We're gonna get to the questions of the to me so the essential questions, which are all about at the at the outset before right. we get into uh, the, anything that has to do with content. Okay. There's there are important structural issues and issues that relate very specifically to time, and the ability to a convince somebody to let you make a seven and a half hour documentary. And what you then do with that time and how you think as a filmmaker about using that time and what that freedom allows. But before that, to get to that, 
it's important, I think, for people to understand who is Ezra Edelman. Like, what had you done before? I know virtually nothing about you apart from this amazing piece of work. So how did you, what was your background um, that led you to the point of being able to get ESPN to back this thing? So I have a very sort of um, simple trajectory. Um, I work primarily, you know, in television and sports-related television, sort of going backwards. I had done a couple 30 for 30s. But I worked, um, I was a staff employee at HBO for 12 years. I was a producer on Real Sports for seven years. I did three docs for them, Magic and Bird, Brooklyn Dodgers, Ghost and Flatbush, Curious Case of Kurt Flood. So I've done four feature-length um, sports docs and another short um, for ESPN. So like I've been working, at least in long form, for a little bit. Um, but I've basically, all the things I've done leading up to this point, I've sort of, have been institutionalized in many ways. And so this was the sort of, even with the one doc I had done for ESPN and even the freedom I've had working um, at HBO before, um, there was still, you know, structure. Like the normal constraints that the constraints operate under. And so this was, you know, this was a leap for me as it would be for anyone because I didn't know how to make something that's this long. Right. So so just describe the problem. I mean, did you pitch this at this length? I mean, what was the, the process by which you got the backing to undertake this thing i mean you know with all due respect to you know espn it was really a a cart before the horse approach because they approached me and connor shell who runs espn films and who i've known for you know years he came to me and basically said hey you know we've done 90 or something films um we're looking to do something that is more ambitious and the first thing out of his mouth was okay, we're looking to do something that's five hours long. And I said, oh, I want to do that. Bef- but, oh, I'm sorry, what's it about? <laughs> and then he was like, it's about OJ. And I was like, I don't know that I want to do that. And But he's the one that sort of, it started as five hours, five hours for TV. So whatever that is, 420, 430. And it happened that I was going to LA the next day. And I was like, I don't know that I want to do this. What can be added to this conversation? Everything's been said. I lived through it, you know, enough already. And when it was only because there was a canvas of this um, size that when I started talking to people and I realized, well, actually, I can do the things I am interested in. I'm not interested in is he guilty or not guilty? Did he do it or not do it? I'm not that interested in a, just a regurgitation of the trial. Um, oh, this is what I'm in. I'm interested in the history. I'm interested in L.A. I'm interested in the LAPD. I'm, and so as soon as the notion of, well, I don't even know how to make five hours, it could be. 12 hours. I don't know what that means, but I just know that I can explore things that are personal to me in a way that I can take a story that people have fixated on in a very specific way and offer a different take. And so that's what got me into it as far as the approach before it became seven and a half hours. It was four and a half hours. Right. And, and how long, like how long ago was that conversation? That conversation was probably February of 2014. Right. So essentially I started working on two years ago. Two years ago. Yeah. Two, two years ago, pillar to post. Yeah. Um, right. That's kind of amazing, just in and of itself. Like, I, I, would, I had no idea how long you'd worked on it, and I would have, I, if you had said five years, I wouldn't have been surprised. Right. You know, I'm, I, I'm, you know I, I'm, I'm, surpri- I'm a little surprised that you could do as much as you did it in was, just two years. It was very immersive. I mean, and I say two, I mean, it is two, it was, two years is correct from where we're sitting in terms of when I really started researching and right. reading and doing all that. And it was a summer honestly, of reading. I hired people probably around August. And, and it really was a, a sort of 
from August of 2014 to when we sort of got the the cut ready for Sundance, that year and a half period, yeah, it was intense. Yeah, it was very immersive, and it was very unfortunately it wasn't it wasn't a happy time. How big was your team? Oh, uh, three. One main producer, Caroline Waterloo, two other producers who are great, um, Tamara Rosenberg, Nina Christic, I got to give everybody a shout out. Um, you know, a few other sort of um, entrenched staff in our office that we had in Dumbo. And then we had, you know, three editors, a consulting editor, a couple AEs, like, you know, all of whom, by the way, and this is where, as someone who is unfortunately maybe a bit controlling in terms of, <laughs> you know, how, how I go about doing things, yeah. and I've been able to do that. You know, with any other project I've done, it's like I, I, my hands are on everything. Right. And this was one of those projects, and for the first time, I just couldn't. And so whether it's Tamara who is in charge of reaching out to people or our editors who are sort of – or Nina dealing with the archival, the level that everyone had to be so proactive and so passionate on their own right, right. where I'm used to sort of being the one person who is crazy – and everyone sort of had to get to a certain level. And, like, the trust that needs to be developed very quickly right. Right. to realize that, okay, you, we all have jobs that I can't do everything. Right. I have to trust. Right. And three different editors with yeah. three different brains right. and trying to figure out how to wait. So, so it's basically like a dozen people in a nut house. Yes. Essentially. Right. Correct. Okay. Um, and just, again, before I turn you over to Will, just, again, I'm just trying to knock out, like, some of this basic stuff because I think it's important to understand it's on a, a project. Yeah. Well, that's on a project of this size. I think it's, like, helpful to understand it because it really is a massive undertaking and you guys did it super fast. Um, when did, like, it grew to be, it's, it grew, like, in, in a kind of organic way over time, you realize, hey, it's going to actually take a little longer to do this than the original conception? Yeah, it was pretty fluid. So, say we started editing um, with uh, Brett Granato, our first editor, like, la last February, probably within three months um, I would told Connor to say, like, you know, I know you're going to have these things written out, like, when we have to deliver cuts. Like, uh, <laughs> uh, you can come down whenever and, like, hang out if you want. <laughs> so probably three months into the process, I said, you know what? This needs to be five real hours, 300 minutes. And he's like, cool. I'll figure it out. And then a month later, he came back, and I was like, mm, I think this needs to be six <laughs> hours. And he's like, what? And I was, he's like, what are we talking about, 3.30 to 3.60? And I was like, yeah, I don't know, something like that. At that point, the cut's still 11 hours long. And then sort of from that conversation, we had our marching orders of like, all right, I got to figure out a way to do this in six hours, which seemed, eh, that's a compromise. That's generous. We finally get to the rough cut stage where we have to show this at some point, maybe the beginning of September. And we did a big we did a screening, a screening room in ABC. And it's this long day, as you know. And, you know, you can't quite tell what people are thinking during these breaks. And then at the end, people walked out and Connor was like, yeah, why don't we just make it seven and a half hours? <laughs> right, wow. You know, and I think, you know, so I, it's funny, as much as I am totally loathe to give credit to the corporate I was going to say, basically, like, like, Connor's a fucking hero you know, here, Connor right? is a hero because he was very fluid. It was like, I'll figure it out. There wasn't this, like, oh, we're doing this thing, it's on at this time, right. and that's, we've already... Well, he's a hero on multiple levels. A, his idea to go long, his idea to do OJ... His idea to push you to do something that you weren't obviously interested in to begin with, and then his idea, his willingness to like give you freedom to let it grow, right. and then to look at it and say, "Okay, we'll do seven and a half hours." Those are all at any one of those stages a normal, and I would say, or at least a, a stereotypical TV executive would have like been an asshole at one point along that way and cut this thing down in its tracks. And instead, like he was basically was saying, "Yes, yes, 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 yes," all along. So, props to that. I, dude. I know. I have to say, I, I yes, I feel indebted in that way. Right. He was he's he's good at his job. Willie. Um, please call me 
Dr. William. <laughs> oh, I'm going to call you Willie now forever. <laughs> someone, someone didn't grow up in overall Illinois high school. Uh, anyway, so, um, so one of the things that I, among the many things that I love about the movie, it all, I feel like one thing, I, I wanted to get this across earlier, it delivers the goods in just scoops is the wrong word, but there's certainly footage in here that I was flabbergasted that you got. To me, stuff that I, again, someone I felt has covered this and read this pretty closely. Now, I realize not at all, but I thought I'd looked at it pretty closely. To find the stuff like OJ talking at his, yelling at the television at his celebration party, or Al Cowling's talking at Nicole Brown Simpson's memorial service. Is that stuff you got early in the process that you build around that? Because it feels like you know the overarching thesis and a lot of things that are going on in the movie are fascinating. But because it also feels like – is that because you had this team? Because when I watch I'm like, well, he had the full power of ESPN, this massive thing. That of course, they're going to find all this stuff. But now to realize that's not the case, I, it makes me find it even more impressive. How did you even find that stuff with the people that worked with you early on in this process? People are like, now it's time to tell the real story. Or did people were like, nah, here we go with the shit again? Uh all of the above. I mean, the that those that footage specifically you're talking about um, came really late in the process. Um, they came from a guy named Larry Schiller, who was embedded with the the defense during the trial. He wrote a book called American Tragedy. He shot. I mean, it was his people who shot inside the house. So right, that's right. why he, you know he had that access. It's always, by the way, still one of my favorite moments where you have a scene, um, you know, towards the end of the movie where it like the scene. Is it culminates, or you think it's culminating very perfectly when OJ walks in the house and you have a helicopter pilot say, Oh, let's yeah. get out of all this bullshit. And you're like, And yeah, scene. Except then you go inside the house. Which was, yeah, right. And you're like, Oh, what the <laughs> yeah. I, where did you find this? Why were you yeah. uh, there? <laughs> and so, no, I mean, I mean, there is a, so a lot of this was such a, again, it's not, a, it wasn't, it's not correct to say a kamikaze approach, but hmm. there were so many things that had to be engaged at the same time. That, like, if you sat and thought, well, I need all these things before this thing will work, we would have never done it. And so, to answer your other question about the people involved, no one wants to talk about this. No one wanted to talk about it. And you're trying to scale a wall that has been built, unfortunately, by the stereotype that is the media. And the way that people have, still to this day, every anniversary, every year, call all these people up. We want to do the interviews. We want to do this. Let, you know. And so, you have to get through that wall so you can actually have a conversation with people to say, yeah, that's not me. That's not what we're doing. We are actually doing something that is far greater in scope. Just meet with me, meet with us, have a conversation. Maybe you'll realize that we have done our homework, that this is a much more thoughtful thing. There's no like, oh, I'm trying to figure out, did he do it? <laughs> Am I trying to figure out, oh, like, Marsha, like, oh, why did you change your hair? <laughs> you know, like, that's right. not what this was about. Right, right. And I think actually in a weird way it we benefited from that same um you know sort of hangover from the way the media treated this because once we did get in the door it was like oh we can actually talk about this, this is now. different right. you're right. you're different i'm i feel relieved and maybe freed to discuss this in a way that i actually haven't discussed this before i mean i'm just right. i'm just hypothesizing i don't know so were, so were there particular people that were easier to deal with? And like for me, I mean, to, always, always. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but like to me, like, you know, I think like someone to have to have Mark Furman, who I described in the in the uh, in, in my piece is older, but still kind of unchastened. By that was the honestly. And I'll, obviously, I, I loved your piece. Um, that was the only thing in your piece that I didn't agree with. I don't I think you he, think is, he is more chastened. I think he is chastened. 
I mean, that was the sense. Do you think he's chastened because of the public outcry, or do you, like because there's also a little like, like clearly he talked about personal stuff that he went through and so on. And I, I, I the movie certainly does not make him look like some. It's it's the best press Mark Furman's guy. Doesn't make him <laughs> look like it. Doesn't make him look like Hitler. For yes, instance. yes, or, or a groper as. A, as but that's a, by the way, that's what makes the story so complex, right? right. It's like right. the way that people sort of on this comical level level were caricatured. And so trying to find this truth, it's like, yeah, he's not that guy. I don't know what goes on inside his head or what's in his heart. But I know that the way that he was portrayed is extreme. He did not have a a copy of Mein Kampf on his mantelpiece. And so then you're going like, so it's like, oh, how do, yeah, he does deserve his say. Like there are certain things that are unavoidable and disgusting about him. But my sense when he showed up was a guy who was smarter than I thought he'd be. Especially, like, I interviewed a lot of cops. Like, he's a smart guy. He's a very thoughtful guy. And I do think there is something about that experience, regardless of how we develop a worldview when we're younger, that having gone through it, I think he's come out on the other end, and it's like, okay, like, I'm a little more, I'm, he's a little quieter in his <laughs> approach to things. Um, so, so, uh, so I want to ask you this question. So, uh, first of all, I'll tell you something really weird, which is, um, I, you know, the Larry Schiller thing is, is fascinating to me. Mark Schiller, his son, um, was a friend of mine in college. And so, I don't know if you know, do you know Larry Schiller's role in the Executioner song? Do you know about He the, told me, yeah. Right. So, this, is, this, this dude, Larry Schiller, was the guy who Norman Mailer got to hang out with. He was like the right. research assistant who hung out with Gary Gilmore in the writing of the Executioner song and then then was the the inside person on from OJ's team to write the inside account from OJ's perspective. He's a crazy, interesting, weird guy. And I, it doesn't surprise, I did not know about, you know, this connection, but right. now it doesn't surprise me to know that there's that connection. Um, one of the things, I, I just want to talk about like the, some of the decisions you make. One of the things that I think is brilliant about the movie, and Will and I were talking about this earlier, which is there's a lot of trust in the viewer, right? And one of the ways in which um, the movie is trusting of the viewer is that you do this thing where you introduce characters, voices, early in the doc, who they're not really well contextualized at all. You don't know why you're meeting this particular cop or this particular woman from South Central LA or this particular uh, helicopter pilot who is uh, transgender. You don't know why you're meeting them. Then later you find out that the reason you're meeting them is because they have this incredibly important, crucial role. They were the one who was standing in the door way at OJ's home after the Bronco chase, or they were the one who was the person who caught the, the, the Bronco chase from the air exclusively for CBS. You know, but you don't know, they're, but they're, what's, you know, you say, well, why am I looking at this person? Well, they're interesting, but why? And then later, ah, now I know why. What, what Describe the decision-making process by which you came to think that that would be a fine way to do this. Because it's not the way a lot of documentarians who would be like, well, I can't just introduce some random cop here. I'm going to have to explain why this cop and not some other cop, right? What was the decision-making process to do that particular kind of seeding of characters? Because they also, not only are they relevant, but their journey becomes really important. They become characters in and of themselves that you sort of start to care about because you've seen them over the course of many hours. I knew I was going to like talking to you guys. So it's, it's like, for me, fundamentally, like, it's about... You know, the, the film works hopefully on a couple le- levels, but one of them, like in terms of the way I would do anything, is about characters and developing, you know, characters, you know, throughout a movie like it was not like it was a, a feature, but still the notion that part of the whole notion of the movie is about this time and place 
this place. So for 40 years, you have this series of characters, by the way, who start off in different places and are engaged in the world in different ways. But the, I already know we already I know they're coming together in some form during the chase or the murder or the trial. And so it's like, well, I want to be on the journey with all of them to, you know, so you realize that all these different perspectives, whether it's Ron Ship, who was, you know, a fan of OJ as a kid, to David Gascon, you know, who was just a kid growing up in San Pedro, um, who ends up sort of wanting to be a cop. And like, yes, his journey is going to end up as a commander in the LAPD, you know, but he's the guy who has to announce to the world that OJ's, you know, on the loose. Um, and I thought the sort of better way to sort of be lowered into this story is through the eyes of these people who live through all of this history, because you'll that helps you understand how interconnected everything is in the story, thematically and from a character standpoint, because they all, that's what the story is, or who, who, who brought to bear, like, themselves onto, so that was just philosophical in terms of how I wanted to do it. And I also think it's the easier way to lower you into a story, because I can have those voices say the same thing, and I can be very specific in how I ID them, right. saying this is who they are and why you're talking to them, right. but I'm like, yeah, but that ruins the movie. Right. Right. You know, I, I think it's I guess totally brilliant and it really does like it's part of the it's like what there are it's one of the narratives the, each one of them is a narrative within the narrative and part of the thing that it draws you along as you discover more about them you you get these little moments of aha and also you get to see them as I said before kind of develop as characters the question I have for you before I get I head you back to will is another one last is one one more question which is just in terms of like the holy shit moments right hmm. um, which every documentarian has, but on a scale of this large, um, you probably had more of. And this was, you know, obviously very fertile ground. But, like, what were the moments where you were, like, where a piece of, uh, a piece of video came in or an interview was conducted or whatever, where you were, like, where your, where your fundamental ideas about where things were going were, like, upended and where you said, wow, fuck. I mean, either that's, that's incredible as a discovery or that really changes the way I think about this now that I've learned this new piece of information. Uh, I mean, I would like to tell you I'm 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 excitable, but I'm not. <laughs> right. Uh, I'm and, gathering this. Uh, a little bit. And so, the 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 surprises were actually the smaller surprises that actually came from doing interviews. To use Ron Chip as one example, Mike Albanese, um, who was the SWAT commander, who was in charge of everything on June 17th, sitting down to do interviews with people where you understood there's a certain sort of purview that you think you're going to sort of arrange that you're going to talk to these people about. But I had no idea that Ron Ship not only went to the UCLA-USC game, but then went to a banquet where O.J. name-checks him, you know, when he's 16 years old. I had no idea. And yet here's a guy who ends up being a cop and enthralled by O.J. and, you know, friends with him and testifying against him in the trial. You're like, I couldn't make that up. But well, he- it comes to believe he's guilty after, you I mean, again, you see it in the, in the film. I just have to give it this away. It's like you see this guy. He's enthralled with O.J. He's O.J.'s, OJ's his hero. OJ name checks him and then he's like it's like the biggest moment in the world for him he becomes OJ's friend then he becomes convinced OJ is guilty then he doesn't want to testify then he does testify and then he's destroyed on the stand in a way that causes other people who are going to testify against OJ to not step forward he's a hugely important character in the whole thing and I'm like wow I didn't know all that shit he's I mean he he in many ways is the heart of the story and this is where you know, when you think about how hard or what has to happen for a documentary to work, not only do you have to convince certain people to talk, but like that's luck of the gods that you have a guy who's who's who has a narrative that starts by being the kid who I idolize this guy, and then I have a personal connection, and now I'm in love with the guy, and I kind of want to be him, but I'm not him, and I just want to be. 
And then you get to this point, and you're like, I couldn't have made up that arc. <laughs> it's perfect. And the same with Mike Albanese, which is I'm sitting down to talk to him about June 17th, and I think it's going to be a half-hour interview or an hour. Like, and I'm like, well, you were a cop for you know in the LAPD for 37 years. I'm going to talk about the LAPD. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, sorry. The day of the riots, you were up and you got shot down in a helicopter. Like you had all the. And I'd like, oh, I didn't know that, <laughs> right. but I'm telling that story, and you have something to add to it. And that's where a lot of the revelations that it came from those moments. Um, I mean, sure. If I saw a piece of footage that was footage of inside the house the day of the verdict, yeah, I was like, yeah, it's pretty good. Like <laughs> now. One of the things I think is strong about the film, too, is how it brings you back specifically to that time. You know, that is, like, I was in college. It's a very formative time. Uh, that was, I was, too. Yeah, and, so th- and that's actually what I want to ask about. Is like, what was your experience at the time with the trial? Did you, I was, as I was obsessed with it, were you, did you watch it at all? Did you care? Uh, how, what, what was your investment in it at that time? I, it's, it's, it's funny. It's like someone carved out a chunk of my brain from June 17th, 1994 to October 3rd, 1995. Because I remember watching the Bronco chase, and I remember watching the verdict. I remember nothing else about it. I didn't watch it. I mean, so I, you know, so for one of those semesters, I was abroad. Didn't pay attention. Um, I was, frankly, more annoyed, I think. Both initially, I was like, oh, fucking OJ's on the land. What is this? (laughs) What time does the Knicks game start? And there was literally, like, friends of mine in my parents' house in D.C., and at a certain point, like, half the people... stayed watching the Bronco chase and the rest of us went downstairs and watched the basketball game. So that was like that day. And then the verdict. Yeah. I went, I went home to my apartment at school and watched the verdict by myself. I had my own sort of, I think emotional investment in it, but it wasn't like, I didn't know there were five blood drops leading away from the body that were a DNA match for OJ. Like I wasn't, I didn't know that. I didn't even know, honestly, the details to the point of being like, yeah, I think this guy didn't do it or did it. It was more like I have a societal sort of investment in it and a personal investment in it. And so that's where my sort of leanings were, if that makes sense. Do you think that something – when people watch this now, because as I've talked about my experience of watching this and really just like – you know, I mean, the revelatory part for me, as we've talked about, is this notion that this thing that it's actually almost disturbing to me in a lot of ways that, wow, this thing that I thought I really understood very well and I don't have a lot of time to devote to these things that I love uh, and really care about that much and this is one of them and then to realize I didn't know shit about it is uh, uh, is uh, and learn nothing over those 20 years. It feels that's a revelatory part of the movie for me. Is just the, reminds all of us that you're basically a dope. Yeah, I know, I know. And um, I, did you need the reminder? Um, but certainly, you know, to have to, it's about to be out there. You've been working on this yeah. for two years. Like, you know, you've got people like us being like, "Great job, you did awesome." Yeah, uh, you know, but you know, we're we're thought leaders. You know, we're all we'll have a TED talk about this or so on. This is about to go to the public. Like, this yeah. is about to go to the public that that uh, as as John put. Uh, is was maybe primed a little bit by by uh, the Ryan Murphy f- series, but again, you know, to me, it's they're just so they're not even really the same, almost the same medium, <laughs> really in a lot of ways. But certainly, this is now going out to the world. There's all all these kind. Of, there's uh, this is about to become a think piece generator in a lot of ways. And if you it, say so, yeah, <laughs> I think it is. I think it is. And uh, I I warn you in advance. So, but this is about to seem be seen by the world. And a world that has clearly shown recently to still be pretty obsessed with this trial. Do you is is there a take like is there are you are you ready for that? I mean I I mean first of all, look, 
I haven't seen any of the FX show, so because I, 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 I can understand, I had I had that. some issues, yeah. just not not issues with it because I hear it's great and yeah. hear it's fun, but it's just like you wake up one day when you're in the middle of like doing <laughs> yeah. this thing that ultimately is going to be ten hours of television. You're like. Oh, someone else is doing 10 yeah. hours on the same thing? Yeah, yeah, what yeah. the fuck? <laughs> uh, yeah. When's it on? Can yeah. we beat them? You know? <laughs> Boy, I've been lucky in so many ways on this project, but now I am really fucked. Yeah. So, I mean, the fact is, I have been, you know, people have been telling me pretty constantly, like, oh, I think this is going to be a good thing for you. I think this yeah. is going to be... The way I work, it's like, if someone watches 10 hours of something, they are not watching 10 hours of something else about the same thing. So I've been very, like, I was afraid that that would blow us out of the water, especially when I realized that it was good and people were into it. It was like, oh, man, yeah. shit. But I clearly underestimated our country and our culture's <laughs> infatuation with this story. It's amazing to me, and I can't explain it. I mean, in a way that as much as you, as much as this see, I feel like the movie in a way kind of explains it because it's such a large. Like one of the things I love about the movie too is, and the things I disliked about that show is, I don't give a shit about the Kardashians. I don't give a shit like that part of it is like who cares? You, you and I can be friends. Yeah, and so like who cares? That's such an uninteresting part. It's not a major part of that show, but it's it's there's a little bit of that winking uh, kind of kitschy uh, notion to it. Which and but the thing that is to me, I think like this makes such a strong argument as to not only why people care but why it's still so important. Uh, yeah, I, and look, I think that is correct. I mean, look, the, I think the, the notion of... But when I say people's obs- infatuation or obsession mm-hmm. with it, I don't mean that in a good way, in right. the sense that I think the obsession, the infatuation, has to do, unfortunately, with the Kardashians or with the sort of more you know, superficial elements of the trial. You know, like, I don't care whether Chris Darden and Marsha Clark were involved with each other. Like, what, the, what does that have to do with anything? Um, and I think that there is sort of a salaciousness to certain parts of it that draw people, um, drew, it, drew people to it at the time and continue to draw people to it. So from my standpoint, actually, it was like, how do I take, basically, t- you know, have a perspective that was putting the superficial to the side and trying to engage on a more serious level, if that's possible. And what I don't know, frankly, because when you see the reaction to the Ryan Murphy um, show, it's like people still are engaged by that part of the story, sure. by the sort of superficial entertaining. I don't know if people want to do a deep dive into history. <laughs> Having said that, I've been pleasantly surprised through you know from the reactions of people who have watched it that, oh, People actually want this. So people here, want to understand. So here's the deal, okay? Just so you understand this, right? Um, like, the, the deal is this, is that the number of people who watch both is going to be very small. Right. The kind of people who are interested in the docudrama are not actually the kind of people who are going to watch your thing. This is not, not a question of, like, priming the pump in the sense that someone who's watched 10 hours is going to now watch another 10 hours. Yeah. That's not the deal. The deal is just in terms of media receptivity. The deal yeah. of what this is about yeah. is marketing. Yeah. And the fact that that thing was successful means that media players, outlets, people who cover this stuff are going to be more interested in talking about this than they would have been otherwise. And that's the way in which it's going to benefit you is you're going to get more coverage. And the fact that you're going to get more coverage means that anyone who's inclined to watch a serious 10-hour documentary or seven and a half hour documentary will know about this thing. That's how it's going to benefit you in my no, you're, as, you're, you're, as a student as a student of how like media and marketing and promotion works, that's what I you're, think you're is how you're going to win. You're hundred percent correct. And I've I now sit here and I acknowledge that all my fears in that way right. Were unfounded because 
yes, we would not have the same access to people right. who we've had to talk to or interest if right. that hadn't existed. Right. So, yeah. right. And again, frankly, we'd be doing this anyway, but there will be a lot of coverage. You'll, that Again, the, the, it's primed the pump of media interest. And but that that's actually what, one that's of the questions key. that I have is, you're right, like... But the movie is like you're gonna watch the Ryan Murphy thing eventually, and you're just going to laugh. <laughs> and I say, and I say that as someone that likes the show, yeah. but it's going to seem like oh, the, oh. And I mean, I kind of want to see Travolta. I can't <laughs> yeah, lie. yeah, it's, he's doing something very interesting and curious with his performance too. But anyway, but more to the point, like this is. The, the, like right now you're having conversations again like with people like us who are like talking about the larger issues and are very we're curious and interested in wanting to talk about those issues anyway because they're interesting and also because can, we're can you tell yeah like and they're, they're interesting and they're important and they're the type of things that are the things we write about anyway and the things we all try to cover and, and do a good job of covering this is but you know and but you, this is a now about to be shown to a lot of people that are not natural like this is you know that that it feels like there's going to be like even when I wrote in that piece. When I wrote in that piece, uh, that listen, the thing that you don't realize that the movie makes it really makes I think pretty clear is this was a civil rights victory for like a lot of people, and I've been getting yelled at by that every day on Twitter for and I and and I'm a white guy, Wait, so I'm never going to get that. By the way, who, who's yelling at you? Well, I, people I don't know. No, but I'm <laughs> saying black people, white people. Oh, it's white people. It's definitely white people. Okay, it's definitely white people. And and. Yeah. And and but that's the thing though is that like you're like this movie's about to like I don't care like I don't I'm not that smart I don't write that smart of things anyway so I'm used to getting yelled at like that but there, I don't like, want, there you go with the humility again sorry, right. I, well I don't want something like there's a part of me that when I f- watch something that I think is really powerful and really well done I almost feel protective of it before it goes out into the world and and I find myself feeling that way about this where like and now now the the people with the grubby mitts are going to be all over a little bit. Well, I mean, if, I mean, yes, I feel the same way, but I've also been sort of going through this even for the last few months with anybody who is watching it and sort of the notion that it's now going to have this wider release where everyone will be engaged by it. Uh, I don't know what to say. Like, I mean, look, the thing that you, the piece that you wrote, and, you know, this may be a longer, different conversation, but one thing that it made clear to me, and even with people's reactions and watching it, is however well we told a story you know and how it was put together with all these different elements part of the power or and strength of this film is that you can't divorce yourself from the thing that you're watching and clearly having read your piece you went to a place as will leach from 1995 when you were in college and it's about who you are and your worldview and you're watching this thing being like i didn't quite think about this uh, the way I thought about it. And that's one thing that I can't possibly project onto an audience in that people are going to respond to and already have responded to different things within it. If you're white, if you're black, if you're a woman, if you're young, if you're old. And so I'm just, I've been amazed, but that makes me realize that this is in a totally trite way. This shit's way bigger yeah. Than yeah. me or the film. So, so we're we're basically out of time. But I, I gotta like. Wait, I thought we, we were here all day. Uh, well, we you know, right, but this is the for us. This is all day. We've been talking for more than a half an hour. Yeah. Let me let me. But I got but I gotta ask a last question because I promised I would in the first half of the podcast, and, I, and it's the thing that, in some ways, I'm really apart from all this. I'm most interested in. So, I said in the first half of the podcast that Will um, took a made a conclusion, um, reached a conclusion, which was um, he's obviously guilty, and yet. Um, the verdict is still a part of a bigger uh, there's, it's, there's justice here in him having gotten off 
um, I said that that was a thesis that I sort of advanced at the time. And then I said I was going to ask you whether you think there's a thesis here or are we finding, is Will finding that, 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 that conclusion in the work or is that conclusion embedded in the work? Did you, did you reach a conclusion that you hope that this movie can, conveys or is this more of a, hey man, there's like a lot of things you could take away from this depending on who you are and that's one of them and that's valid but there's no one thesis here. Oh, I'm going to be really unsatisfying and go with the middle ground, which is that was an indirect thesis in terms of like how you should see, how I think you should see this. Right. There was a a more of a conscious attempt to um, explain and under and have let's just say, for instance, maybe white people understand why African Americans responded the way they the did. way they did after the verdict, but also why they were invested the way they were during the trial. In a way that I frankly am like, it's not, for me, it's like not hard to empathize. Like, why is this so confusing? <laughs> and so there is, there is a very clear goal to, you can, and by the way, you can only get that, I think, if you, and so you're talking about the time. Well, yes, I got, I was extremely lucky by being given this, this large canvas. But in some ways, the only way to really understand that is to emotionally engage with this history right. and which these incidents, and so someone who doesn't know about it can can actually feel something in a way that they wouldn't if you had a one-minute backstory about the cops did this and this and this. Right. They're bad people. That's why. And so I was more conscious, conscious of explaining that than necessarily the thesis of, as I've said to everyone, and I want to sort of like the notion of whether he's guilty or not is not interesting to me, yeah. or it's not it's not paramount. Yeah. Um, having said that, I did feel well, a very part, clear part, responsibility <laughs> to offer. Part of the reason why it's not interesting is because he's obviously guilty. That's the thing. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not I'm not trying to induce you to say yeah. that, but I mean, part of the reason why to me it's not interesting is that you know, just the the, the on the basis of the forensic evidence, the DNA, yeah. everything else, it's just like the reason it's not interesting is because we know he's guilty. But there's more. The interesting stuff is all this other layer. But that's where, yes, I wanted to make sure, by the way, I laid that out in a matter-of-fact way. And you understand what I right. think based on how I laid sure. it out. But beyond that, I'm not that's asserting, not, not I'm not asserting right. my opinion. Yeah, yeah. It's not the point. Yeah. And, I, and so, yeah, it's a cop-out. But I don't want to also cloud what I think is the greater message and intent of the film by sort of saying that's what this is about. Right. But frankly, the conclusion that Will leached. Will reach. Will, will reached. Uh, was, <laughs> will leach reached. Will, 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 will leach. Yeah, will that's, that's a tongue twister. Yeah. Uh, is correct. You're right. okay with that. Yeah. 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 And it's kind of like what you're saying. It's a kind of like, and it works in both levels. It's, I think, I mean, I think what you're saying is it's a couple different things. It's like essentially to say, look, there is no one true thesis here, right. but what there is, is, you know, a, uh, there is a, an effort to make you, whether you accept this thesis, whether you accept the conclusion that will reaches and that I frankly yeah. reach, whether you accept that or not, is the, the point of the movie is to make you understand people who reach that conclusion. And if you can understand that argument, whether you reject it or accept it, it's not like I'm trying to jam this down your throat. Yeah. I'm trying to say, here's the way a lot of people saw it, and let me try to explain to you why they saw it that way. So at least at a minimum, you come away understanding that. You, you kind of can, can see through their eyes why they feel that way. And then, you know, you're free to either accept it or reject it on your own. And the last thing, I mean, you're correct. The one, the addendum I would make to that, which is, you know, so I mentioned Larry Schiller. He wrote a book called American Tragedy. And theoretically, that is about OJ as a character, right? And right. you could look at this story about him and say, it's a tragedy. Look at a guy from where he came from, what he became, and blah, 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 blah. And to me, the tragedy, that's the addendum to this being a, a great civil rights victory. What? <laughs> and so that's what the story's supposed to be. Like, wait, 
we had to invest into this <laughs> character and to this yeah. thing, which speaks to the scraps that we have been sort of given, you know, in the criminal justice system and like every day in America that we are forced to sort of invest in this thing as some sort of victory. This is the win. This is the, yeah, how, how <laughs> hollow of a victory is that? And so that to me is the tragedy of the story. Right. Wow, that's a, that's a, like now I feel like I got to go kill myself. Uh, let's not do that. Um, this, that's the goal of any podcast is at the end to make John want to try to kill him. Trowbridge now says we have to go because like we've run out of time. They're going to kick us out of the studio. So we're going to have to continue this discussion like the, the discussion I want to have about the documentary we now want to make, the eight-hour documentary that's just about uh, that moment in this documentary when Bill Russell and Lou Alcindor and James oh, yeah. Brown all decide to uh, rally around Muhammad Ali resisting the draft, which like I, I froze framed that and said, there's a documentary. Oh, yeah. I'd watch two hours on that. In fact, you know, let's the go. The Ali make, Summit. Let's, 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 go, let's go make that let's shit. Go make it, um, right. as, if, as if it hasn't been clear enough, we love Ezra Adelman. Thank you for coming here. Um, and anybody who's interested in, who's listened to this and thought, wow, this is kind of an interesting conversation about race, class, criminal justice, celebrity, um, uh, the, and obviously the OJ story. And it was interested in any of those topics. This is essential filmmaking. It is insanely good. And you will not... Uh, be able to turn away once you start down the path of watching what is seven and a half hours of totally gripping, magisterial, magnificent, masterful uh, filmmaking. I'm not kidding. I love it that much, and I know you do too, because I'm John Heilman, and you're... And I'm Will Leach. All right, so that brings to an end uh, episode 11 of the Culture Caucus Bloomberg Politics podcast about the intersection of politics and culture, which, you know, the OJ story, like, is. Um, Will, where can you find this podcast? Of course, uh, the best way to find us is to subscribe to us in iTunes, and we encourage you, actually, to listen to this podcast after you've actually watched the show. I feel like this that actually could be... Info- it doesn't go away. Right. Like, I know we're right, getting a promotional cycle, right, but we'll still right, be right. here. So, uh, definitely subscribe, and iTunes, give us a nice review on iTunes. It helps people find the podcast. You can also find us on SoundCloud and BloombergPolitics.com. All right, so ta-ta for now. Watch OJ Made in America. Uh, June 11 starts. Plays all the next week. Go check it out. Summer of OJ. Bye. Brought to you by Oppenheimer Funds, the right way to invest. Explore long-term opportunities at OppenheimerFunds.com.